turn in our Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look at one verse today. It's going to be verse 2. And uh, last week we were in verse 1, and we had 27 words in that verse. I'm breaking it down into words now. Uh, verse 2, we got 32 words, at least in my translation. And we're going to look at verse 2 because verse 1 and 2, they really need to go together. And so let's, uh, let's dive into this. Um, I shared last week that chapter 1, or chapter 12, verse 1, is a turning point in Paul's letter because it's really leaving behind the doctrinal uh, parts of the letter and going into the practical side of the book of Romans. I shared that chapter 12, verse 1, was really one verse that I believe is very uh, important for us to know because not only does all of that doctrine lead us to a place of a worshipful life before the Lord. But following that and all the practical, it's real hard to do some of the things that Paul speaks about in the practical side of that without you being willing to give your lives as a living sacrifice unto God. It's difficult to walk as a Christian and to do the things we're called to do unless you're willing to yield yourself to the Lord, unless you're willing to give of yourself to God as a living sacrifice saying, God, this is me. I know that my flesh bucks up against it sometimes, but God, I want to yield to you. And that's what I see in uh, verse 1. Let's read it again. Uh, Look at your Bibles, verse 1 and 2. Paul writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We saw last week that we need to present our bodies. This week we're going to look at not conforming to this world, presenting our bodies as living sacrifices and not conforming ourselves to this world as Christians. I shared last week from Paul's letter in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 23. Paul writes, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And pick up on this. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's prayer for the believers at Thessalonica, is that their whole spirit, soul, and body would be preserved blameless. I've got a chart, I think we have up here a little diagram. Uh, I've used it before. I believe that the scriptures teach that we are a trichotomy, body, soul, 
in spirit. And if you look at the body, uh, the outer ring, the body, that's the external part. That's our flesh. That's the things that we often contend with. We contend with the flesh that wants to please itself, do what it wants to do, and we're called to give our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. But we also have a soul. Uh, We have a soul that is your mind, your emotion, and it's your will. And see, God is always wanting to deal with our will. We have a will to do what God wants us to do or a will that can say, God, I want to do what I want to do. And we want to conform our will to his will. We have a soul. We also have the spirit. And the spirit is that part of our being that actually has communion with God. We actually come into fellowship with God by God's Holy Spirit that lives inside us. He took your dead spirit when you gave your life to Christ and He made you alive by His Holy Spirit and once again brought you back to a place where you could have fellowship with God. You could hear, God hears your prayers. You enter into this relationship with God by the Spirit of God that's in you. I think it's incredible design. Here's the question, though. Are we giving it all to Him? Are we giving our lives to Him, giving our all to Him, that He might change us inside and on the outside? We're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. He he speaks about, in in verse 2, about not being conformed to this world. To be conformed to something. Uh, We we all, I think, have an idea of what it means to conform ourselves to something good or something not good, something bad. And we find ourselves in decision-making all the time of what we're going to conform ourselves to. Now, under the law, there was an acceptable sacrifice. Old Testament, under the law, And that sacrifice that was acceptable to God was a dead sacrifice. It was a slain sacrifice. The priests, they would bring that animal and they would sacrifice, they would kill it, and then they would take its blood and they would offer it upon the altar. That was an acceptable sacrifice, the shedding of blood, a momentary, really, sacrifice. It had to be repeated and repeated until Christ died on the cross, the last lamb. But in the Bible, we find that, at least what we read last week about being a living sacrifice in the New Testament, we see some good examples of what a living sacrifice might look like. One of them that I started thinking about was Isaac. Remember Abraham? As Abraham took his son the promised son, and took him up on the mount to sacrifice his son because God had called him to do that. And here's the thing that blows my mind, and and it should blow all of our minds. Abraham was willing to do it. He was willing to take his son, that son that was the promised son, take that son up on the mountain and sacrifice his son because God said so. Put yourself in that place. Take one of your children, because God called you to offer your child as a sacrifice to Him. 
think that takes a little bit of faith. I think it takes something. Abraham, not only he was willing to do it, but he did it in faith. And we read in uh, the book of Hebrews uh, that tells us about the faith of Abraham. In chapter 11, verse 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, and it was a testing from God, he offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that, listen to this, that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him as a, figured, as a figurative sense. Abraham, in faith, believed that if God allowed him to sacrifice his son there on that altar, that God would also raise him up from the dead. What a picture. What a picture of a living sacrifice. What's interesting to note, and sometimes maybe we don't understand this, but Isaac was a young man. He wasn't a baby. It wasn't like bringing a baby up on the altar that had no clue what was going on. Isaac was probably in his late 20s, possibly around 27 years old. Here's Abraham taking this young man that had a will of his own and taking Isaac up the mountain to put his son on the altar. I, can you see the dynamic how that might change? What are you doing, Dad? Where are we going? And those were the questions that were arising even in Isaac's mind as they walked up the mountain. What's amazing to me is that this young man, he went really as a willing participant. He could have ran. His will could have been, <laughs> no way. He could have gone the other way. He went as a willing participant. And even Abraham being tested in his faith, even to the point of raising the knife to run until God brought that ram in the thickets. Incredible picture of what a living sacrifice would be. Somebody yielded to God, completely yielded to God. Not only the father, but the son. And we see that and we see this whole picture within this of Jesus Christ himself, that relationship of the Father to the Son. And Jesus Christ yielded himself to the will of the Father as he went to the cross on our behalf. We also are called as Christians to yield ourselves up to God, to give our lives as living sacrifices unto God. Jesus said to his disciples. He says in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6, verse 10, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's teaching them to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done is how you ought to pray as Christians. God, I want your perfect will. Why would we want God's perfect will in our life? Because if we really rationally sit and think about it, everything that is the will of God is going to be the best thing for me. Even if it doesn't look that way, even if I can't make sense of it, God, I want your will to be done in my life. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ, as he died there on that cross, we know that he willfully went to the cross. He set his sight on the cross. He went to the cross 
willfully, willingly, because he knew the redemption and what was going to transpire at the cross. A living sacrifice. The last lamb to be slain. Jesus going, into the, going to the cross on our behalf. He's our high priest. He's our advocate now. He's risen from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. But let me ask you, do you have anything else other than your life that you could give to God that would be a greater act of your worship than for you to give your body as a living, holy sacrifice to God? What else do you have? You got a million bucks? Do you have things that you could give to God? You know, he doesn't need any of those things. He said, just simply says, I want all of you. And I want your whole body, soul, and spirit. I want every part of your being to be laid at, down really at my feet as a living sacrifice to me. Practically speaking, how do we do this? As I shared last week, we don't just bring our bodies as living sacrifices here on Sunday. We don't show up on Sunday and come into the house of God. I'm the living sacrifice coming to church today. But we as Christians, we live the same way the other six days of week. We, we give our whole life, our whole week, our whole being to the Lord. That's what a true living sacrifice is. Not just for Sundays, but it's in your workplace. It's in your school that you attend. It's in your homes with your name. It's every aspect of our life that we become these living sacrifices and, and then in turn these tools that God can use. He wants to use our hands. He wants to use our feet and our ears and our eyes. He wants to use our mouth for Him. You see, that is giving up ourselves as a living sacrifice unto God. It's our most reasonable form of worship. It's what we ought to do in light of everything that He has done for me. This is the best that I could give to God. To give my life as a living sacrifice unto Him. And that means every part of my being. That means giving Him my heart. That means giving Him my mind. It means giving every part of your being to God. You see, our bodies, as I shared last week, are meant to glorify God. And we either glorify Him or we bring dishonor to God by even how we use these bodies, what we do with these bodies, what we look at, what we hear, what we take in, what we do. And God doesn't want just pieces of us. He wants it all. He's a jealous God. He wants every bit of us, every part. And He wants us to be a holy sacrifice. And that requires us hitting our face in prayer and saying, God, would you make me more holy? Would you do that work in my life? Would you change me from the inside? A holy, acceptable sacrifice to God. I mean, I wouldn't want to stand before the Lord and say, you know, all of your religious stuff you did for all those years, 
none of it was really for me. None of it was really holy. None of it was, it was just, you did it out of duty. You did it for other reasons. And for that, it wasn't the most reasonable sacrifice that you could give. Real worship is the offering of your life every single day in every way. True worship is offering to God your body, not only the outward, but the inward, as we even worship this morning, the heart of worship. Look at your Bibles now at verse 2. Paul connects verse 1 to verse 2, and he connects it with an and, the word and. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Have you ever noticed that it's the body and it's the mind, the body and the mind, that gets us into the most trouble? Your body, what it wants to do, and what goes on in your mind is what gets us into the most trouble. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Excuse me. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That word guard there means to mount up a garrison around your heart and mind. Let your requests be known to God and the peace of God. How many of you need that? The peace of God in your life. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, Paul writes, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, then Paul says, these are the things that you should meditate upon. Meditate upon these things. So when you're going through life and you're needing the peace of God to surround your heart and mind, you're needing those things, what do we need to go back to? We need to go back to this list. We need to look at this list here And we need to set our hearts and minds on the things that are true, the things that are noble. Don't believe all the lies that from the enemy and everything that wants to come your way and say, well, this is the end. There's no way we're going to work. Just, God, I need your peace and I'm going to rely upon what I do know. I'm going to stand upon what you've promised me. I'm going to go back to, to these things. And that's when our hearts and our minds get mounted with this garrison around it. It's like, man, all the peace of God. 
He's given me such peace in the midst of this storm. I, I don't even know why I have the peace other than I have to say, God, you've given it to me because I would be freaking out at all the situation. But God, I need your peace. You see, the heart, which is your whole entire being, the heart and the mind are really the two battlegrounds that we have. The enemy wants to get in and defile your heart. And we, we allow ourselves to get defiled in our heart. He wants to get into your mind. That's, a, that's the battleground, isn't it? It's what goes on up here in your head. And, and those are the things that Paul is saying here in Philippians, that we need to bring those things, our heart and our mind, we need to bring them on, back to the Lord on the things that we know. Verse 2 again says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We could maybe break this verse down, this one verse, into three parts. The first part is do not be conformed to this world. The second part is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the third part is that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You might call that the outline for verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. We could put it another way. We could say to be conformed is to be fashioned into something. To be conformed to something is to be fashioned into something. To be conformed means that you would, to shape one thing like another. To shape one thing like another. To conform oneself. To conform oneself is to conform your mind, your character, to another pattern. That's what we are wanting to do. We are wanting to conform ourselves, have that conforming going on to another pattern. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.13, he says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, Peter says, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. Not conforming. There's a, that conforming or fashioning ourselves to the former lusts. Remember the days before you knew Christ? Maybe the things that you did then that you don't do now. You see, as Christians, we're a work in progress. God is working something in us. He's changing us from the inside out. Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, he says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me. Listen to this. Paul says the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What a perspective. 
I mean, we quite often look at the Apostle Paul and we deem this man as a man that was sold out, and I believe he was, to Jesus Christ. He's making that statement here of himself. It's what, uh, that perspective is one that we should, Lord, help me to have that perspective. That crucified, the, the world has been crucified to me. And I to the world. But let me ask you, you yourself as a Christian, what is your passion? What is your passion as a Christian? I mean, I started thinking, why do I get up out of bed every day? Why do you get up out of bed every day? What is your passion when you get up in the morning and you get out of bed and you go about your busy schedule? What is the passion of your heart? There's a lot of things that can fill that up. But to be crucified to the world, and those things that would draw us away. I, I want to live in such a way that when I get up, I know that my day is about Christ. My day is about living for Him. It's not living for self. It's not doing what I want during the week and then coming to church on Sunday. It's I want to live for Christ. I don't want this world to drag me down. Paul, he also wrote in Philippians 3.10, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. What a perspective. Have you ever read that verse and said, Lord, is that me? Is that my attitude that I may know him and know him more? That's my life endeavor. I want to get to know you more and more. I want to know your character. I want to know about you. I want to go deeper with you. I want to understand you in greater ways. And I want to know the power of your resurrection. I want to experience that in my life. I don't want to just read about it, but I want to experience that resurrection power in my life over sin and over in my witnessing and all those things that I might do for Christ. I want to be in fellowship with his sufferings. Paul knew the sufferings of Christ. He says, and I'm, I'm not some special. I, 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 want to, I want to get so intimate with him that I can actually experience in some form, in some way to get, draw close enough to the Lord that I would experience even that suffering, the sufferings of Christ. Being conformed to his death. The Lord just gave it all up for us that I might do the same. That I might realize that the reason I get out of bed every day is there's a purpose for me here. It's not all the agendas and all the things that we have. Those things we do, but you can always have in that, Lord, but I'm here for you. I'm going to school for you. I'm going to work for you. I'm doing whatever I'm doing. This is you that I'm doing this for. not being conformed to this world. Paul in Philippians 3.21, he says, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. 
transforming our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. You see, that should be our desire. I want to be like him. I want to walk like Jesus. How do we do this? How do we do this in a practical way? I think the first thing that came to my mind is we need to die to self. You ever have a problem with that? Self gets in the way. We have to die to self. We need to daily pick up our cross. We need to pick up our cross every single day and follow after Christ. And like Peter said in 2 Peter 3.18, he says, do all of this, die to self, pick up your cross, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, our Savior. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. That's how Peter closed out his letter. That we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Uh, There's none of us that are going to do it perfectly. We'll fail. We'll mess up at times. We won't do it perfectly. But it's how we get back on our feet. It's how we get going again. It's how we set things right with God that makes the difference. And do not be conformed to this world. Or stop conforming to the pattern of this age. I I started thinking about, look at this world we're living in. Look at the pressures that are upon you and I every single day to want to cause you to conform to this world, the things that are in this world. And keep in mind when Paul's writing this, he's speaking to Christians, not unbelievers. He's saying this to us as Christians. Do not be conformed to this world as Christians. And this word conform, it's also described as a pattern or defined as a pattern. Webster's Dictionary defines a pattern like this, as a form or a model proposed for imitation. Do not pattern yourself. Do not be imitators of this world. In other words, don't let this world be your pattern. Don't let the world around you, the world you live in, the the way the world does things, don't let it be your pattern. Don't let it be your form. Don't let it be your model that you would follow after it. Why do I say that so strongly? Because I believe that even within the church today, a lot of the church today is falling trapped to conforming itself to the things of the world. It's... The tendency is that when people start doing all these things that you uh, maybe you see and observe and watch, then a lot of people follow that same pattern. Pretty soon you have a worldly church. You got people doing worldly things. And we need to be careful that we're not patterning ourselves around the things of the world. We're called to be imitators of God, not imitators of of the world. Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 he says, "Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children 
and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. There it is again in Ephesians. Be imitators of God. In 1 John 2.6, John writes, The person who abides in Jesus ought himself also to walk as Jesus walked. That's, a, that's our marker. That's who we look to. We don't look to each other and compare ourselves with one another. That's unwise, Paul says in Corinthians, by the way. The best thing to do is to look to Jesus let him be the one that I want to imitate my life after. Because if I try to imitate you or one of you, I might find one of you that's not doing as well as me. And by that, I look pretty good. I'm doing good. I'm doing right. I'm, man, look at me. I'm a strong Christian. But when I compare myself to Jesus Christ, when I'm wanting to walk like he walked, there's not a one of us in here that would be sitting there going, you know, I need to grow, I need to mature, I need to die to self more, I need to be more like him. Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 11, speaking of himself, he says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And that's what's important. Paul says, you can imitate me, but imitate the things in me as I follow Christ. You can have a brother or sister in Christ that is walking with the Lord, doing those things, and there's nothing wrong with looking and saying, you know what, I wished I was more like that. This person is just so full of joy in the Lord, so much being, you know, and I desire to be that way. But it says Paul followed Christ, that he says, imitate me. I think Christians today, probably more than any time in history, are being, in a sense, forced into a worldly mold. Having a worldview. Not having a God view of the world, but having a worldly view of the world. There's a danger for the church. There's a danger for Christians to have a worldly view instead of a biblical view. And just like you pour that liquid, if you're making a brick and you have a brick mold and you pour that cement into the brick mold to make a brick and it forms around that image in that brick mold, or you take jello and you put it into one of those designs and you let the jello set up in the jello bowl, I could call it that, jello mold, it takes on that form. It's just when you pour it in, that's what it is. It takes on that shape. And what's sad that I see, anyway, is that this is happening in the church. You know, what mold do we have here? You know, what, what, what is the mold of this church? You know, and, and if that's happening with the church, then it's because people are not looking to, the, they're just looking at whatever people and, you know, the new thing that we're doing here. And how, but is it God's way? Or are we just following into the mold of the way every other church and however everybody else is doing it? I wrote... In many ways, the church is looking no different than the world. 
I think that's an accurate quote. In many ways, the church is no different than the world. Something that we should consider. But here's what we need to guard ourselves from. In 1 John 5:19, we read, "For we know that we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one." And I ask you, do you know that? We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Do you know that? Are you convinced of that? Do you see that we're living in a fallen world that has lots of temptations, lots of ways of wanting to bring you in and put you into its mold, something that's different than the mold of Christ, but bring you into a different pattern, a different way? That's what we have to battle ourselves as Christians. I think it's getting harder to do. I think as we see these various things that are going on around us in the world right now, the things that this world is throwing at us as Christians, it's in some ways getting harder to do as a Christian because this world is actually demanding it from you. It's demanding that you would conform to its ways. You Christians, you're the problem. It's demanding that you would conform to what they're saying is the right way. It's the world's ways, and they're putting those demands upon God's people, and some Christians are going to make the stand, and some are going to comply. Yeah, you know, we got to be, you know, we got to be this, we can't be, you know, and we can't be judgment, we can't. That's the danger that we're in. So how do we break free? from this mold? How do we keep ourselves from being pressed into the world's mold? A lack of morality. Pleasing self before others. Fighting for position and status in life. Being self-sufficient following and doing what the majority is doing. And the list goes on and on of things that we have to as Christians every day make a decision. I'm going to go that route or I'm going to comply to what the, or I'm going to do it God's way. How far have we come? How far has the church come? And I think those are good questions. Listen to how the New Living Translation puts this verse. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and how pleasing and how perfect His will really is. I just love what that verse is saying. And I want to know the will of God for my life. I want to know how He's directing me and what He's wanting me to do. 
But I can tell you that if I'm being poured into this world's mold instead of being molded and fashioned into the per, it can be real hard for me to know what His will is. To be in tune with the Lord so that you're not always questioning, what is God's will for me? I have no clue. And usually if we have no clue of what God's will is for our life at all, it's because we've moved away. Some way we've never drawn close enough to Him to really hear His voice. To know what He really wants. What He desires from us. Philip's translation says it this way, Stop being poured into the mold by the external and fleeting fashions of this age, but undergo a deep and inner change by the qualitative renewing of your mind. We need this renewed. We need this, this whole thing to be transformed. We could say that the world every single day is wanting to squeeze you into its mold. Here's a few exhortations that we can find in Scripture regarding this. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.2, he says, you once walked according to the course of this world. Do you all remember that? According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, You see, those were were our days before we knew Christ. How Paul describes it there. Uh, Paul also writes in Galatians 1.4 that Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. To deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. God took you, so to speak, off the course that was leading to death, and He put you on a new course that leads to life. That's what God did in your life when you gave your life to Him. He took you on the course that you were going, and He set you on a new course, going in a different direction. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 19, he says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you ever want to kind of determine how well I'm being a, a different person out in the world, Just live for Christ. Start living for Him. Start saying no to certain things that people want you to fall into the pattern with them over and see what kind of things you'll experience, what kind of things you'll come up against. Just live for Christ and you'll see. They hated Jesus. They will hate you also. If you make a stand for Christ, they'll hate you. That's good news, isn't it? I didn't see anybody smiling with that, but they'll hate you. They'll see something different about you and me. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 19, 
excuse me, James, uh, James 4, 4 says, you adulterers and adulteresses. Here's James. Boy, James is hard-hitting. By the way, we're going to be getting into James starting next Sunday. That's the book we're going to go into. James 4, 4 says, you adulterers and adulteresses. Now, for those of you that have been here on Wednesday night, and you're all invited to come out, by the way, Wednesday night, I'm teaching the book of Hosea. It's all about Israel being an adulterer, spiritual idolatry. And the prophet is speaking to the northern kingdom of Israel. You adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I want to be a friend of Jesus. I want to be there with him. I I don't want to fall into the, the trap of being conformed to the things of this world as a Christian. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 2.20, he says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, how do they do it? How did they escape the pollutions in the world? Through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Pretty I mean, I'm just giving you a few. You want to go through your Bible, you'll find a lot more that speak about us being separated from this world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. The Lord doesn't just pull us out of this. He says you're in it, but you're not of it. And you don't need to be conformed to it. The Apostle John warns us about this world and the things that are in this world. He says in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, he says, do not love the world. Remember, he's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to us as Christians here. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, why would he say that? Does that mean there could be a tendency that we could love the world and love the things in the world? What kind of things is he talking about? I think he's not just talking about the, you know, the, the five bad sins that we might think about. I think he's talking about all those things that would take the place of your complete giving your life a living sacrifice unto God, giving your whole heart and life to the Lord. The things that would distract you. Oh, you know, I, I, I can't go to church much anymore. We, you know, we just bought this big boat and you know, I'm out on the, on the lake every weekend. Really? Okay. You know, I'm sure that the Lord understands that. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to have a nice big boat and out on the lake every weekend? I mean, who wouldn't? But I have to, in my own self, say, you know, God, do you want me to have the boat? As nice as it is. Or do you want me to be in your house worshiping with other believers? Well, I go anytime. You know, the, 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 but again, we have to soul search self. He says, he goes on to say, 
He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. Did you know that? The world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. It's all going to go away. It's all going to end. If we have that in our focus and we have that in our mind, it's all going to end. It's all going to come to a new day when we're in the presence of the Lord. There's a lot of things that get brought into perspective. But while we're here, we have to contend with the lust of the flesh. And we have to contend with the lust of the eyes. And we have to contend with the pride of life. Those are the three enemies. Every sin comes from one or all of those three things. Verse 2 again. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants us to give give to Him our bodies. He wants us to give to Him our minds. He wants us to give to Him our will. He wants us to give to Him our whole heart. It sounds like he wants every bit of us. It sounds like he wants it all. And he does. And you see, that's what being a living sacrifice unto the Lord is. Paul says, but be transformed. Metamorpho is the Greek word. It means being changed but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. And we all need that. It's the same word that's used of Jesus at the transfiguration, when Jesus was transfigured before the three disciples. He was changed in that moment, transfigured in their their moment. That's what He's saying of us, that we would also be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The word actually means to change into another form. You know, like that butterfly that changes from the larva into a beautiful butterfly? The larva and the beautiful butterfly? I'll flip it around so you don't think you're all larva over here. The larva and the beautiful butterfly. Does that make you feel better? I saw faces, you know. Are we the larva? You know. But to be transformed. To be changed. To change from one form into another form. From a larva to a beautiful butterfly. That's only a work God can do. That's a working of God's hand in our life. It's God's creation. He's wanting to transform. He's wanting to change us into His image. Wrap your head around that. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The former things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You're all new creations if you know Christ. 
Philippians 1.6, I've asked you to memorize this one for the last probably 10 years, those that have been in the church. Uh, one of these days, I'll just start asking you, you know, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing that he that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That word perform means to complete something, to undergo, to accomplish, or make perfect. That's what the word perform means. From the start, from the day you give your life to the Christ to the day that Jesus Christ returns, you're a work in progress. God starts. What God starts, God is going to finish. He's going to complete. He's going to accomplish it in you. We just simply need to yield and say, God, would you do your work in me? He wants to transform our character, but not just our character. He wants to transform our conduct. You see, He can transform some person's character, and hopefully the conduct is following. But He wants us to be changed people in our character and in our conduct. You see, He wants to undergo a complete makeover. Any of you ever had a makeover? They've had TV shows. There's before and after. Wow! Makeover. That's what God wants to do in us. He wants to give us a, a complete makeover. That we would stand out as being different from the world. You know, there's a marked difference. I can see it. The way you talk, the way you act, the way you behave yourself, the way you, you know, I, there's just something different about you. How is this transformation taking place? By the renewing of your mind. I think for most of us here, if we're real honest, most of us here before Christ were pretty messed up. I don't know, maybe you all weren't. But I think a lot of us were messed up in mind, wrong thinking, had all kinds, you know. And then God comes in and begins to change your mind and your thinking and you know where you're going now and you know what you're about and you know why you're here and you know, you know and I don't no longer want to live that way. And I, he begins to, I, I understand now, Lord, why you don't want me to do this sin that I so practiced for so long and didn't think there was any problem with it. Now I hate that sin and I don't want it. He begins to transform our minds. Messed up minds that have been transformed by the Lord. And I, I think this world has wreaked havoc upon our... Are there any things in your mind that you still struggle with? Oh, God. I don't even like to go there, and we shouldn't. But there's things of our past that we're saying, God, would you, would you help me in this area? I'm going to give you a real quick list because I'm running out of time, but I am close to being done. It sounds like a lot, but I'm going to give you 12 ways that you can be transformed by Christ. You can write them down, and I think they'll be on the screen. Here, here they go. One, trust and rely on His Holy Spirit in you. Galatians 5.16. Confess, number two, confess your sins daily. 1 John 1.9. Guard your heart, Proverbs 23, 7 and Galatians 6, 7. 
Number four, let the spirit of truth guide you into all truth. John 16, 13. Number five, walk in the light as he is in the light. 1 John 1, 7. Ask God for wisdom from above, James 1, 5 and 3, 17. Number seven, spend time and more time, I'll add, in God's word, letting his word renew and transform your mind. Number eight, think of the things that are true, Philippians 4, 8. Number nine, we need to capture our thoughts. How do you capture your thoughts? We need to capture our thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5. This is homework for you, by the way. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Hebrews 12.1 and 2. We need to memorize Scripture. Psalm 119.9 and Ephesians 6.17. And then lastly, we need to acknowledge Jesus as the Lord in my life, in your life, Romans 10.9. I think you could add to that list. This is not exhaustive. You could add to it. But these are a list of ways that that transformation takes place in our life. What we put in and what we take in, what we desire, what our passion is, is what ultimately this thing really becomes. And lastly, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. All of us want to know this. Some believe that the last part of verse 2 is the purpose of what Paul said in the first half. It's the purpose of it, that we may prove what is that will of God. And others think that Paul is describing here the result of being renewed in your mind. As I looked at that, I tend to lean towards that he's speaking of the result of you being renewed in your mind that you might know the perfect will of God. Being renewed in your minds. Paul says that we may prove what is good and acceptable. To prove something means to discern, to uh, approve it by testing. You see, it's your mind that controls your body. It's your will that controls your mind. You got your will that... You can exercise your will one of two ways. You have a a mind that God is transforming as you apply yourself to let the work of God's Holy Spirit, the work of His Word, the washing of His Word, begin to transform your mind, make you think differently, uh, resulting in making you act differently in life. Your will begins to change. You have more desire towards God than the things of this world. And then there's a real work going on. God's doing something in you. And you see, we need to know the path. We need to know the path to understanding what the will of God is. 
so that you're not as often just not real knowing what the will of God is. What is the will of God for all of us? There's a general principle to it. But then there's specifics to our life. We all have specifics, but there's a general rule that we all are in the same camp. But we want to know the will of God for our life. We need to spend time in prayer. If you spend little time in prayer, I can tell you it'll be very hard to discern the will of God in a lot of things in life. If you spend little time in the Word of God, I can tell you that you're going to have a hard time really hearing God's voice. There's no easy pathway other than doing certain principles that we see in Scripture that draws near to the will of God so that when I'm drawing near to the will of God, I very easily understand what His will is for me more and more. Spending time in prayer, waiting on the Lord. That's hard to do, isn't it? Waiting on the Lord for His will. Seeking His will and not my own will. Surrendering my will to His will. Getting our will in line with His will. You know, what is God's will for you? And getting my will in line with His will so that I would act upon that. The perfect will of God. I think all of us would like to be in that place, the perfect will of God. But it takes work. It takes applying ourselves to these things. Have any of you ever thought, you know, man, I, I, I know in my own walk I've thought this and looked at this and I thought, you know, I can remember a time where I heard all these Christians always talking like they were hearing God talking to them and speaking to them. And, you know, yeah, the Lord told me, you know, you're not to do that. The Lord told me, you know, no, that's... I'm thinking, man, what, what kind of connection is going on here? What are you hearing? You know, you're talking as if you, you're having this, like, conversation with God. I don't hear it like that. And, you know, what I come to realize and learn is it wasn't that God wasn't speaking. It was because I was unable to hear. I wasn't drawing near to God and He'll draw near. I wasn't in that place, in that communion with Him through prayer and, and in His Word and seeking His face and giving my life as a lit, you know, I wasn't doing those things. And by that, what is the perfect, I don't know, you tell me. Philip's translation reads this way. Proving God's will in practice moves you towards the goal of true maturity. Proving God's will in practice moves you toward, towards the goal of true maturity. And I think it's really when it comes down to it, we are all called to grow up. We've got to grow up. 
grow up, get into the Word of God, hear the voice of the Lord through His Word, stand on His promises, say, God, my desire is what your desire is for my life. What do you want from me? How do you want me to live? What, you know, speak to me, Lord. And if you seek God in that way, He will. You'll find it. You'll, you'll start hearing His voice a lot more. You go, wow, man, I'm, I can actually, I, I kind of know real quick that I don't think that's the way the Lord wants me to go or the way He wants me to think. And so... Romans chapter 1 and 2, 12, 1 and 2. Those two verses, I think, are really, they're pinnacle verses for us to grab hold of. We need to grab hold of Romans 12, 1 and 2 in a practical way, bring it home to my life, and then see what God will do. See, see, see how that relationship with you and the Lord will change. 